0: Hello, this is Pastor Moe, senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Broussard. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these messages. My hope is that this sermon will be a benefit to your spiritual growth and that you will prayerfully take to heart the contents of this week's message. I also encourage you to pull up the accompanying sermon notes and follow along as you listen. If you have any questions or would like to follow up after the sermon, feel free to contact me or our staff here at First Baptist Broussard. May God bless you as we begin this week's sermon. Well, today we are coming to part forty. Can you imagine that? This is our fortieth in this series. If you're new here today, we have a few guests, and we are certainly glad you're here. Each week we have guests, and we want you to know you're always welcome. And uh, but we have been walking and working our way through the Gospel of John, starting the first of January. Now, each Sunday is a stand-alone message, so if you're new here today, you can, you, you're going to be able, you'll be all right. But In this process that we've been doing for the last few weeks, we've been focusing on the crucifixion, the death, and the burial of Jesus, and then the last couple of weeks on the resurrection, and what that means to us. And so that's what we do, it's sort of a celebration, as we mentioned, every Sunday that we gather here. One of the reasons why we do it on Sunday is because Jesus appeared the first two Sundays uh, after his resurrection, to his disciples in a large group on those times, and so it's, we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday when we gather here. So I uh, uh, hope you keep that in mind as we do that. But today's focus and last last week and today's focus is about what the resurrection means for us. What does it it, it uh, accomplish for us? If you remember last week, we saw that the resurrection moves us. From confusion to celebration, from fear to faith, and today we add from disillusionment to direction. You see, there is a restorational and a transformational element to the gospel, uh, to the resurrection, and that restoration, that uh, uh, the transformation from the first to the second part of those statements, is ours once we accept our identity. And its corresponding activity, and that's two words to remember today: identity and activity, and how they correspond, and what the resurrection means for that. Now we're up to John 21. This is the last chapter. Uh, this is to be the last message at, in this format. Next Sunday will be more of a Thanksgiving theme and focus. We we may pull in some of these elements, uh, but. Today as we close out this biblical passage, if you want to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 21, we'll be taking from that passage, it's also uh, in your, on your church app. If you're here and you don't have, a, if you have a smartphone, if you want to download our app, go to your app store, FBC Broussard app, download that and you'll have all access to all the sermon notes and the scriptures. Also you can give online, by the way, and either one time or set up a recurring gift Okay, John 21, as we have, this will be the last. Uh, I've had many of you say how much you've enjoyed watching the little video clips. Uh, Sad it's coming to an end, but hey, all good things come to an end. But we're going to watch this final little clip from the movie Gospel of John that portrays and dramatizes this passage of Scripture. Of course, the purpose of these videos is to help you get a personal uh, involvement with it. It's not just some cold facts on a page 2,000 years ago but that you feel like you're there and that you experience it because everything that was written 2,000 or more years ago are just as applicable to us today in our life. So let's watch and and listen to this little clip here.
1: After this, Jesus appeared once more to his disciples at Lake Tiberius. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, the one from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples of Jesus were all together. Simon Peter said to the other, I'm going fishing. We will come with you, there, do it. So they went out in the boat, but all that night they did not catch a thing. as the sun was rising, Jesus stood at the water's end, but the disciples did not know some of the fish you just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore full of big fish, 153 in all. Even though there were so many, still the net did not tear. Come. And eat. None of the disciples dared these others do. care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of (coughs) John, do you love me? Peter became sad because Jesus asked him a third time. tell you the truth. When you were young, you used to get ready and go anywhere you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will tie you up and take you where you don't want to go. In saying this, Jesus was indicating the way in which Peter would die This man. If I want him to live until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So a report spread among the followers of Jesus that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He said if I want disciple who spoke of these things, the one who also wrote them down. And we know that what he said is true. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. If they were all written down one by one, I suppose that the whole world could not hold the books that would be written.
0: Well yeah you like that right, Ross. Yeah, uh, that's a very moving passage, and uh, it's a lot that can be said about all those 25 verses. But we don't have the time uh, to to do that. We're going to focus on some key aspects of this idea of what the resurrection does for us and how the book closes with John the Apostle, who uh, was the writer of this book, in a sense, sort of giving us an update on the status of one particular disciple, Peter. And that'll be the most, the focus of our message today is on Peter. Because you remember, Peter disappointed Jesus on more than one occasion, two or three times. And then he denied him how many times? Three times. And of course, Jesus asked him, Do you love me how many times? three. didn't I take a theologian to figure out that there's some correspondence there. Uh, but this story is a, about a, moving us from disillusionment to direction. Because you see, the disciples were really disillusioned. Now the scriptures doesn't say that word, but from the context it appears that the disciples found themselves in Galilee. Now why were they in Galilee? Because just you know, the, the, resurrection, the crucifixion and the resurrection took place in Jerusalem and Jesus had appeared to them twice but it's eighty miles from Jerusalem to Galilee why were they in Galilee? well I'm glad you asked that question because uh, they were told to go there by both an angel and by Jesus himself so I think if an angel comes to you and then Jesus comes to you uh, I think you probably need to listen uh, and so that's what they did now in the Gospel of John, John didn't record all the information that happened. Because you remember the last, stanza, last verse, it says, if everything would have been written that Jesus did, not all the books in the world you know, could contain it. So John didn't include everything. But Matthew, one of the disciples, did include this passage of Scripture here. Now, we're stepping back a few weeks to uh, the day of the resurrection, Okay. But an angel came to the women, this is Mary Magdalene and some of the other ones, and said, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been resurrected, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to where? Galilee. Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I've told you. So, departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy... These women ran to the disciples with the good news. Just then, Jesus met them with a joyful greeting. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for what? Galilee, and they will see me there. So the angel told them, and then Jesus told them. So the story is, is the disciples were just doing what they were told which is a, it's a, it's a good thing. So they were in Jerusalem. But the problem is, disciples knew where to go, but they seemed disillusioned and directionless when they got there. You see, they had simple faith just to go, but they didn't have sufficient faith to wait until Jesus came and told them the fullness of it. You see, uh, the principle that I want to, to focus on this section here is, is that sometimes, more often than not, but sometimes, God allows us to go through some times of disillusionment, disappointment, of struggle, crisis. You know, our church is sort of going through that now with our finances. And and most churches, unfortunately, are. But, I mean, the finances have been very disappointing. And it gets easy to be disillusioned. uh, By the way, I want to say a special shout-out to our finance and uh, team, uh, budget team, they have done an excellent job of staying on top of this and working on this, so I want you to know how much I appreciate you doing this. But we are sort of disillusioned somewhat times in in what's going to happen with our finances and and with the future of our church. But you see, sometimes we have faith enough to just kind of keep going, but do we have faith enough to wait through this? Through the financial crisis, through the health crisis that many of you are going through now. Maybe some personal financial issues, some personal family issues. Some concerns and fears that you're having right now. Maybe you have faith to say, yes, God, I know you can help me, but do you have faith enough to know that God will help you and you wait for it? Don't tell him what he needs to fix you or fix the situation. We need to trust in him and wait for him. That's the issue of that. Because uh, a poem I, I came across, it says, if, this is uh, a poem as if God is saying it. He said, if you've never felt pain, then how would you know that I'm a healer? If you never went through difficulty, how would you know that I'm a deliverer? If you never had a trial, how could you call yourself an overcomer? If you never felt sadness, how would you know that I'm a comforter? If you never made a mistake, how would you know that I'm forgiving? If you never were broken, then how would you know that I can make you whole? If you never, never had a problem, how would you know that I can solve it? And then if your life was fully perfect, what would you need me for? You see, God allows us to go through some times of disillusionment, of discouragement for a purpose, And those times can cause us to grow in our faith and deepen our faith if we will look to Jesus, listen to him, and then love our fellow brothers and sisters. That's what we need to be doing. So with that in mind, let's move, like I had mentioned earlier, to Peter. There were seven disciples that were there fishing, but Peter is the one that gets the the, the attention here. Because really, it's Peter who needs to accept his identity, which will give him clarity on what his activity should be. Because it's Peter that moves from disillusionment to direction. Of course, Peter is just a, a symbolic of us. We need to do that same thing. Because this whole story is about restoration and transformation. So, if you're here today, and you've never failed, never made a mistake, never been disappointed, I would encourage you to just take a nap or... Maybe pull up your phone and play Angry Birds or something. Because this message won't be any good for you. Because this is about those of us here that have messed up, myself included. And not staying there. Realizing we don't have to stay. Because, you see, this is, I like this, this little saying here in, in yellow. It's by Richard Sibbs. Now, Richard Sibbs is from the 1700s. He was an old Puritan preacher. But he has a good point. He said, we discover with Peter, as in this story... That there is more mercy in God than sin in us. Isn't that wonderful? More mercy in God than sin in us. You see, behind this story, this story of disappointment, disillusionment, denial that we see in Peter and the other disciples as well, we find a wonderful, liberating, hopeful truth. Your failure is an event, not your identity, not your destiny. We all make mistakes. Every one of you here, myself included. We failed. We made mistakes. And maybe even recently. Maybe even today. But you see, that's not your destiny. It doesn't have to be your destiny. It doesn't have to be your identity. If we choose. Because if we will fully understand our identity, then it's going to give clarity to our activity in our life. Well, let's quickly look at three things that uh, we learn from this passage about our identity and its corresponding activity. Obviously, we are fishers of men. That's our identity. Now, when I say fishers of men, ladies don't feel like I'm leaving you out. That's just a generic term: <laughs> men, women, students, and everyone. I want you to know I'm inclusive in that. But as fishers of men, we are to obey Him. That's our calling, our task. Now, in this passage in John twenty-one, the first. Uh, eight verses, we find Jesus appearing on the shoreline early, early at the break of dawn, on, on one morning, while the seven of the disciples were out on a boat fishing. They'd been there all night long, caught nothing. The break of dawn, Jesus yelled out. Now they didn't know Jesus it was <coughs> Jesus because it was still kind of half dark and it was a hundred yards away, the scripture says. He Say, hey boys, you haven't caught anything, have you? Nah. You hate that, what guys, when you go fishing, anybody asks you to fish. Nah, I didn't catch that. <laughs> Mr. Jim, he always catches fish, so he yeah. never has to say that. But, but you know, just, just no fish. And he said, throw your net on the right side. You know, it's always good to do the right thing. But to throw your net on the right side, and man, they caught all kind of fish. Well, the disciples may not have been the, the, the brightest bulbs in the pack, but John was pretty sharp, and, he's, and he looked at Peter and said, You know, that's the Lord. Now, they didn't do anything but, except for Peter. He took his, his, his robe that he had wrapped around him and jumped in the water and swam ashore. Peter is always a little bit uh, impulsive uh, to do wrong, but also to do right. They drug the boat ashore. They came ashore. Uh, and... They brought that net of fish together. But you see, if they had not obeyed him, they would not have had that great catch. They would not have had the success. It didn't make much sense in reality. Now, imagine, you are a professional fisherman. You've been fishing all your life. You really don't need anybody's advice on fishing, especially some stranger on the shore. But those guys listened. Now, whether something was in the voice of Jesus or something in their hearts, but they obeyed. And that obedience helped to solidify their identity as true fishermen. Not a fish, but a people. Now, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, we find this passage about, uh, this is one of the other uh, uh, disciples, not one of the twelve, but John Mark, who was uh, one of the followers of Christ, he wrote in his gospel this passage, which happened, which took place. This is odd, and it's not odd. Nothing's a uh, coinc- coincidence with Jesus, but they were at the same exact spot, doing the same exact thing that they were three years earlier when Jesus met them. He talked about fishing, then now he talked about fishing at this point. After John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, by the way, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come. We believe in the good news. As Jesus was passing by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, now that's Peter, Simon Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, since they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fishers of men. And obediently they obeyed him, and left their nets and followed him. You see, this theme of fishermen had been from the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Fishing, fishermen, fishing was the main uh, occupation because they lived in Galilee, right there on the shores of Galilee, and that's what they did. They fished. They didn't have beef, cattle, and and chickens and pigs. Even though some had pigs, but they felt pigs were uh, were unclean. So their their meat was fish. So it was a vital aspect. But Jesus is taking something that they know and applying it to something that they need to do. They know how to fish for fish. Now it's time to be obedient and fish for men. In essence, us just talk about evangelism. And that's every believer, every authentic and genuine follower of Christ, that's your task. It's not just mine, our staff, and, and other leaders in the church. Every single believer... Is to evangelize. You have a calling to be a fisher of men and women and others. To reach out and share the good news. And it starts by being obedient. Obedient to going out and sharing. That that phrase fisher of men actually wasn't originated with Jesus. The ancient Greeks used that phrase all the time. And it was an idea of where they would uh, pursue men with the truth to catch them with the truth And bring them into the fold. So we are to pursue people with truth. And to try to let it catch their hearts, that truth. And to bring them into the fold of Jesus, into that family. To be fishers of men. So we're fishers of men. Obey him. We're also shepherds. We need to love him. And by the way, love people. That's the secondary uh, aspect of that one. Now in John 21, 9 through 18, we find that... The disciples, we had left them dragging the the, the fish ashore. They came to the land and they raced over to Jesus. Jesus already had a fire going, a charcoal fire. Now, you remember the last time they were, were together before the crucifixion, they were around a charcoal fire, or Peter was around a charcoal fire, in the courtyard while Jesus was on trial. It says the scripture said that Peter came up and warmed his hand on the charcoal fire and he was asked, are you a follower of Jesus? No, no, no. So that same fire and now another fire, three times there, three times in. You See, there's no coincidence here. That Jesus is showing that he's, he's working through this process, showing full identification of the situation and the fulfillment of that restoration. So they gathered ashore. They came up. Jesus already had the fire going. And he had fish and bread already. You see, Jesus didn't need their fish. Just like he doesn't need our time, talents, and treasures. But he asked for them. He said, you bring some of your fish and join with me. You see, it's this team effort that we, that we have to do to evangelize the shepherd. Now, the key aspect here is, is while they're sitting around eating, Peter is next to Jesus because he was the first one there. And I'm sure the other guys were listening, but I'm sure they kept their mouth closed because so they didn't want to get any trouble on them. But Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, or actually, he said, Simon, son of John. Which is a rather formal title. So Jesus is kind of stepping back and saying, okay, I'm not going to take anything for granted. I'm not going to uh, assume that you are my follower yet. I just want to, I'm going to start where you are and see where you're going to go. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he added a phrase, more than these. Now, what exactly we meant more than these, whether more than the fish, more, probably more than the other disciples, more than the things of the world, we don't know, but that's really a secondary point. He just said, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus said. A few minutes later, he looked at Simon Peter again and said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Almost the intent of it, do you really Peter said, Well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. A few minutes later, Jesus looked at him again. Simon, son of John, and I'm sure Peter's heart started sinking just at the words, and not again. Do you really love me? Peter was just overwhelmed with himself. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Now, each one of those is a slightly different. Feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, and then feed my sheep. Now, there's a lot that we can talk about that, but basically it means whether you need to feed the, the, the unbelievers and the new Christians, you need to feed the old Christians, the lambs. And that feeding process is all ground up in shepherding. We're to be shepherds. And one of the reasons why I'm called a pastor is because it comes from a word that has the idea of a shepherd. But you see, I am not the only one, or uh, Pastor Adam, I'm not the only one to be shepherds here. We are to shepherd one another. It's the idea of caring for one another and loving one another. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? He didn't ask him, uh, are, are you going to go evangelize? Are you going to go do this? Are you going to do that? No, he said, do you love me? See, that's the thing is, it's not so much what we do for Jesus It's just our love for Jesus because if we truly love Jesus, we're going to fish for men. We're going to evangelize. We're going to care and shepherd. You you could almost say this is a discipleship to disciple others. We're going to care for those. A lot of times I, I and other pastors and leaders stand up and say, you need to do this. You should be witnessing. You should be giving. You should be doing that. I shouldn't have to be telling you those things. If you love Jesus, you're going to do the things he asks. If you truly love your spouse and love your children, when they ask for something that's reasonable and, and, and uh, acceptable, you're more than welcome to, to go to extra effort, to get up in the middle of the night or do whatever to do that because you love them. I don't need to hammer you about your time your talents and your treasure you should know already that you're obligated responsible but most importantly privileged to do that out of your love if we truly want to be authentic and genuine followers of christ then we have to be good fishermen but we also have to be shepherds to care for one another to love one another i've always hoped and prayed that our church would be a church of love, that the community could look into that and see that. And I think for the most part it is. But I've come to see there's some cracks in that that are starting to show. I think because, number one, our America is in such a terrible shape. There's so much hatred and anger and confusion and selfishness that it starts, seeps in. All of us here have probably some financial or medical situation in our family that's causing us some stress. And then our church is in great financial need and causing stress. And it can cause us to sort of nip and bite at one another. But you see, the thing what we need to do now is we need to love one another now more than ever. We need to respect and care for one another more than ever. Young people, respect and love the older people. Older people, respect, love the younger people. We're all in this together. And when we start turning on one another, we're going to find ourselves drifting away. But if we will focus on Jesus, love him with all our hearts, and love one another. Remember our motto? Loving God, loving one another. We've got to revisit that and I want to remind you of that. I believe that, that we can see some great some of our greatest days ahead. Now whether we have to continue in some little disillusion for a while maybe so. As long as we keep our head above water, we keep our boat upright and keep the oars going and moving forward. God is going to see that faithfulness and he's going to bless us. He's going to see you and your life going through cancer, going through This disease or that financial crisis or that marriage crisis or job concern. He's going to see you being faithful in the midst of your trials. That you don't give up. That you keep your eyes on Jesus. That's where victory is going to come. You may have faith enough to go to church. But do you have enough to stay in a worshipful setting until Jesus speaks truth and life to you? Well, let's move on. We need to close out here. Obviously, we are disciples. Follow him. In the the last section of that, uh, Jesus, after he told uh, told Pete, hey, do you love me? Then he kind of told him something. It seems a little bit sad. And maybe a little difficult, he says. You know, when you were young, you could just do whatever you wanted to. You'd go wherever you wanted to. But see, as you get older... You're going to, somebody's going to tie you and take you where you need to go. And that was a phrase. Sometimes, you know, when you say certain phrases, they have a, a meaning that you know. Well, that phrase, somebody, they're going to take, take you and lead you where you don't want to go. Is, is me, everybody understood that to mean is that you were going to be captured and put to death. That was, that was the, the, the meaning of that phrase. So Jesus is saying, listen, oh, you love me? Oh, by the way, you're going to die for me. Hey, that's nice to hear isn't it. you're going to die. But then he comes back and says, very simply, the first of two times, follow me. You see, Jesus wanted to let Peter know, hey, it's not going to be a, a walk in the park here as Christians, as a faith believers. And those of us who are believers, we know that Christianity is not a walk in the park. But it is walk in the field of grace with the Savior next to us. And we're never alone. Trip, he's there to pick us up. Fall, we he's there to pick us up. Get distracted, he's there to pull us back on target. If we will focus on him and keep him in mind. But the key here is to follow him. We've got to follow him. Now, by this time, it must be obvious that Jesus and Peter were walking together and the disciples. The other six of them were walking behind John immediately and then the rest of them. Now, why Peter did this? He said, Jesus, okay, you want me to follow you? Well, what about him? <laughs> now, maybe he didn't say it that way, but yeah. that's the, that's the context. What about him? You know, like, you know, you, you tell one of your children, go clean your room. Well, what about her? What about him? Now, that's what y'all did. Y'all point to each other, huh? <laughs> It was none of Peter's business what John was supposed to do. You see, too, too many times we try to take care of other people's business, and we need to keep our nose out of their business. Yeah. Jesus has a purpose and a task for you. It may be slightly different for you and for you. So you can expect him to act just like you, to dress like you, to sing the same songs you want, to to say the same words you do, to dress the same way you dress, to believe and vote the same way you vote. As long as we are biblical and honoring God, there's, a, there's sort of a, a wide spectrum there. We need to be cautious and careful, and we need to pay attention to our fellowship. Don't worry about, you don't need to worry about my fellowship. You need to pray for me and encourage me. But first of all, you need to say, well, am I following? And then if you are following, then you have the responsibility and the privilege to encourage others. You know, it's sort of like if you don't clean up your own room, how can you fuss at somebody else about theirs? We are to follow him with all our hearts, no matter what the case. Whether death comes, whether financial crisis comes, family crisis, illness, disease, separation, imprisonment death, whatever, we've got to stay faithful. We've got to be fishers of men and obey him. We've got to be good shepherds. We've got to be disciples. Well, let's kind of bring it to a conclusion here and a few phrases to remember. Our identity in Christ reveals to us the activities that we should participate in. We are to be authentic and genuine reflections of Jesus Christ in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Bottom line is if we want to fulfill God's design for life, we must conform to the image of Christ. See, it all comes down to us. Following Jesus. That means we act like Him, we talk like Him, we we love like Him, we serve like Him. And when we do that, we're going to be authentic. We're going to be faithful. So, in conclusion, as we revisit our first slide, we can move with confidence and assurance, no matter where you are in your life, from confusion. Celebration is, can be there. You can move from fear into a, a life of faith. And you can leave your disillusionment and move into the direction of knowing Christ is fully saved. See, once we accept our identity and its corresponding activities, we have that peace. We're fishers of men, let's obey him. We're shepherds, let's love him. We're disciples, let's follow him. Because you see, Authentic and genuine followers of Christ, they obey, they love, and they follow. So, are you going to choose to be an authentic and genuine follower of Christ? You're going to refocus your attention to obedience and love and following him? What a difference it's going to make in your life, your family, our church, our community, this world, if we would do that. I want to challenge
1: you
0: to do that. This is Pastor Moke again. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this sermon. Maybe something you've heard in the message or read in the notes has challenged your thinking about your faith. If so, our staff is here to help in whatever way we can. Or if you prefer, check out the Faith Life tab located on our homepage at www.fbcbroussard.com. There you can find answers about salvation, spiritual growth, and getting plugged into a local church. And don't forget to check out the other sermons in this series as well. May God bless you.